Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. You know, we as a people love stories, do we not? Uh, and stories play a big part of the Christmas season. Um, I saw a list this week of some popular Christmas children's stories. I uh, wonder if any of these might be familiar to you. Maybe if you read them when you were a child, or maybe you read them now to your children or your grandchildren. So just show me real quick, show of hands. We're going to uh, put some pictures on the screen. How many of you ever read Dr. Seuss, uh, How the Grinch Told Christmas? Everybody in on that? Okay, everybody's a Dr. Seuss fan. Like, how do you not like Dr. Seuss? Um, or what about the Nutcracker? Okay, maybe you've been to the Nutcracker. Some of you guys endured that, but you've never read the book. Okay. All right. Nutcracker. What about Polar Express? Right. We love the movie. Okay. But don't know if anybody's read the book or what about the crippled lamb? Anybody read the crippled lamb before some of you? Okay. If you have not read that one, I'm just telling you like it's a tearjerker. Okay. So buy the book and also buy tissue to go with it. It'll be good, but make that one a part of your uh, Christmas season. And then finally, perhaps the most well-known one in history, Twas the Night Before Christmas. All right, some of you could just quote that. You don't have to read it. You could actually quote that, and you're going to read it about 39 times over the next 20 days or so leading up to Christmas. You know, we all love to hear a good story. And uh, Christmas itself is based on a story, is it not? Now, it's not a fictional story with animals that talk and a big guy that slides down the roof, but it's based on a real story, a real story that matters to every single one of us of a baby in a manger and his arrival to change all of history and all of humanity. You know, the, the thing that's different about the real Christmas story that's different than any of those other stories or any story that you might read this Christmas is that this story was told before it even happened. It was told before it even happened. Um, Today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Greatest Story Ever Foretold. The Greatest Story Ever Foretold. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do together is we're going to open up Scripture and we're going to dig into some passages of Scripture that actually tell about the arrival of a Savior, the birth of Jesus, before it ever even happened. If you're familiar with scripture, you know that God used these men called prophets, that they would prophesy, that they would communicate the truth about what God was going to do. And all throughout history, God would use them to tell what is to come, that there's something special that's on the horizon. And these prophets' words are recorded in the first 39 books of the Bible in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before they would actually come to truth. And in the Old Testament, we find over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life and death and resurrection. 300 prophecies. Um, And some people much smarter than me, uh, mathematicians, have kind of looked at the percentages to see what is it, what is the likelihood that one person could fulfill 300 plus prophecies. And so I want you to see some of these statistics this morning. They're really staggering. One person fulfilling just eight, not 300, but one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies is one in that number. I can't say it. I don't even know how, I'm not even going to start. One in that. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one chance in 10 to the 157th power. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies, but one person fulfilling the 300 prophecies spoken could only be Jesus. It could only be 
Jesus. See, prophecies are some of the most factual truth that Jesus was who he said he was. He was not just a good teacher, but he was the son of God. He was the savior of the world. And some of those 300 prophecies actually talk about Jesus' birth. They talk about Jesus' arrival. And so what we're going to do today is begin to dig into one of those prophecies that talks about the arrival of a savior years and years before it would ever happen. So if you have a copy of scripture, we'd love for you to go with me. We're just going to go to Genesis chapter 12, so you don't have to open up very far today. But Genesis 12, towards the beginning of your Bible, is where we're going to be. Um, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, a harder digital copy, um, we'll put some verses behind me just for you to follow along. We're actually going to be in three different chapters today. Um, all of those are in Genesis, so you don't have to track a long way, but all those will be in Genesis starting in chapter 12. And our story today is going to center around one man by the name of Abram. Um, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that Abram would later undergo a name change and he would become Abraham. Um, and so in two of our passages today, he's going to be Abram. In one of our chapters today, he's going to be Abraham. And so here's what I'm saying. I'm asking for your grace because there's going to be some moments, okay, where I'm supposed to say Abram and I'm going to say Abraham, all right? And there's going to be some moments where I'm supposed to say Abraham and I'm probably going to say Abram. But here's what I know. You get your own kids' names mixed up, all right? And so I'm going to ask for you to give some of that grace to me. You know who you are, all right? All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what scripture says. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, the prophecy we're going to circle around today specifically is there in verse 3, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But all these verses are filled with important truth about what is to come. See, there's two important things that we see there in those first three verses. One is a command from God to Abram. The second is a covenant from God to Abram. The command we read in verse 1, it says, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. In this command, God is asking Abram to leave three things that were progressively difficult. One, he was asking him to leave his country. Second, he was asking him to leave his family. And finally, he was asking him to leave his father's house. So what would that feel like for us today? One, it would mean leaving your hometown, the place where you grew up. Then it would mean leaving your people, all right, the ones you hung out with, the ones you graduated with, the ones you've been hanging out with for a long time, to leave your people, and then also to even step outside of your family lineage. And God makes this ask of Abram, and it was a crazy, crazy unheard of ask. But that is the command that God gives to Abram. You see, as crazy as the command was, God couples it with an unfathomable promise or covenant in verses 2 and 3. And this covenant, we won't have time to dig into it greatly, but it lays out seven different promises to Abram. Um, one of the, some of those were personal promises, like, Abram, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Some of them were national promises, like, I'll make you into a great nation. Now remember, at this point, Abram and his wife Sarah, they had no kids. So the thought of becoming a nation was unfathomable to Abram. But finally, these promises were also universal. They were universal. He says, you will be a blessing and all people on earth will be blessed through you. See, as crazy as God's command was, his covenant and his promises were even crazier. But what I want us to see today is that this covenant hinged on one thing. And that was obedience. 
That was obedience. What we have to see today is the relationship between Abram's obedience and God's covenant promises. See, whether or not God would fulfill these promises would depend on Abram's obedience. And if you take anything home with you today, if you remember anything Tuesday at lunch from today or next Friday night, I want you to remember this statement right here. God chooses and uses lives of full obedience. God chooses and he uses lives of full obedience. Now, before we begin to see Abram's obedience, I want us to see that Abram wasn't always obedient. You see, this promise, this command that God had given to Abram to go from his land um, was given long before this moment in Genesis 12 that we just read. You read it in verse 1. It says, the Lord had said The Lord had already said this. In fact, years before this moment, God had told Abram to go. He'd given him this command. But you know what? Abram had been disobedient. He had been disobedient. But in this moment, Abram had just experienced something that was very dramatic in his life. He just lost his father. And Abram now had the command from God again come to him. And God wanted to see what would Abram do with this command. See, Abram had been partially obedient but he was not fully obedient. And there's a big difference between partial obedience and full obedience. Um, if you're a parent, like you know exactly what that's like, okay? You look at your kid or you look at your teenager and their room, it looks like a war zone, right? And so you tell them, hey, I want you to pick up your clothes. I want you to pick up your toys. Pick them up off your floor and I want you to put them up where they go. And how, how does that typically go, all right? You walk in an hour later, okay, and they've taken their clothes and just shoved them in the corner of the closet, right? Or they've taken their toys all off the floor and they put them on top of the bed and they've transferred them, right? And then they come to you and they're like, mom, dad, mom, dad. Like, like I picked everything up off the floor, right? And in that moment, like you just have steam come out of your ears. It's a cool parent effect. You don't get it till you become a parent, but it just comes out. Because why? They've been partially obedient. They picked it up off the floor, but they didn't put it where it's supposed to go. They haven't been fully obedient. You see, the crazy part is that even when we get older, we don't always shake that partial obedience thing in our life. Sometimes it's still true of us today as a mom, as a dad, as a single adult, a grandparent. See, we say things like, God, I'll trust you to provide for me financially. Like, I believe you own everything and you're good and you're going to take care of me. But yet then maybe we don't trust him to bring back and to give back to him what really belongs to him. Or maybe we say, God, I'm going to walk in integrity. I'm going to walk in honesty at my house, in my relationships, at my work. But yet there's still that one thing that we keep hidden that's not fully been honest. Or maybe we go like, God, I know that you want me to be a part of a spiritual community so I can grow. Like I'm called to be like you and my purpose is found in you. But then it's really easy to make a whole lot of excuses about why, not, why we can't make it to the Sunday gathering or why we don't need to be a part of a group. You see, partial obedience It's not really obedience at all. But thankfully for Abram, his partial obedience didn't erase the promises of God to him. It didn't erase them, but instead it meant that God's promises were just on hold. They were on hold until Abram would choose to be obedient. And I think it could be safe to say that some people here today in the room have put the promises of God to you on hold because you failed to be fully obedient. You just won't give that forgiveness. You just won't choose to walk generously or you just won't choose to be fully pure or fully honest. And because of that, perhaps the full promises of God from a good dad to his kids, the promises have been on hold because you've chosen to just settle for partial obedience. 
See, the good news for us today, though, is that Abram didn't get it right to begin with either. He didn't. And because God's good and because he's compassionate and loving and merciful, he gave Abram another chance to choose obedience. He gave him another chance. And that same option, I believe, is for you and for me today as we walk into this moment, maybe marked by disobedience or marked by rebellion or rejection or partial obedience. God looks at you today and through the truth of his word, he's going to go, I'm giving you a chance to choose obedience. I'm giving you a chance. In the rest of our time, we're going to look at three different stories where Abram had three chances to choose obedience. They're monumental places in Abram's life. And I want you to see in these moments that God chooses and God uses lives of full obedience. Um, The first story is the rest of the story that we just started. Genesis 12. So stay right there where you are and look with me at verse four and five. It says this. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Here in chapter 12, we see Abram's first act of obedience, and if you're taking notes, this is it. Abram's obedience to make a move. Abram's obedience to make a move. Uh, Ladies, I want you to think with me for a second. Okay, married ladies in the house, that your husband comes home from work tomorrow, right? On time, joyful spirit. He's done everything he's supposed to do. He walks in, baby, I love you. He kisses you on the forehead. And he says, baby, I've been thinking today and I feel like, I feel like we need to pack up everything and we're going to move. And because you are a loving, submissive wife who practices respect to your husband, you respond and you go, oh yeah, baby, where are we moving to? And he gets his puzzled look on his face and he goes, you know, I'm not really sure, but let's just pack up the bags. We're going to hit the road and we'll figure it out as we go. How's that going to go across at your house? Okay. I'll tell you how it's going to go across. Here's how it's going to go across. I'll see you later for marriage counseling. Okay. That's, that's how that's going to go across, right? For married folks, it don't even work out really good when we leave the house without a plan on where to go eat supper. Okay. Much less if we're leaving the house without a plan on where to move the family to. But that's the ask. That's the command that God gives Abram in this moment. And scripture says, we just read it, Abram obeyed. Abram obediently made a move. See, Abram packs up his entire family. And remember, there was no call in the U-Haul service to come help us out. No, he loads up his family, most likely on camelback or donkeys or on their own backs. And they set out for an unknown destination. And the only thing, the only thing that Abraham had to work with was a promise from God. That was it. And his faith to move was completely based on believing that God had promised and he would provide. And I want you to see what scripture would later say about this moment in Abram's life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says this, By faith, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. That didn't make any sense. Verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abram, was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, Abram obeyed, and he made a move based completely on God's promise. God had a destination set aside for him, but in this moment, God wasn't working on the destination. God was working on Abram. God wasn't working on the destination. He was working on Abram because here's the deal. God doesn't call us to make a move of obedience just because. 
Sometimes we think, man, God's big up there. He just tell me whatever I want to do, and he don't have a reason. Here's the deal. God always calls us to make a move of obedience because he wants to do a work in us. It's about us sometimes more than it is about the destination. And when we make a move to walk in obedience, we honor God, yes, but we also open the door to increase our faith. And in this moment, God was doing a work. He was doing a work on Abram. But what about you? What about you? Like, how in your life, what area of your life might God be asking you to make a move of obedience? Now, maybe it's not moving to an unknown destination, thankfully. But maybe he's asking you to seek or to give forgiveness to a friend or to a family member. Maybe God's asking you to help a friend. He's calling you to invest in a coworker or a classmate or maybe somebody even within our body of believers. Maybe God's calling you to live generously or to serve in some way, or to start a relationship, or to end an unhealthy one. See, if we'll listen, God calls all of us to make moves of obedience. But it's up to us on whether we're going to make the move. And Abram, in this moment, he chose obedience. As crazy as it seemed, he chose obedience. And I want you to see what happened. God responded to him. Go back to our story, Genesis 12, verse 6. It says, Abram... Traveled through the land. He went as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, Abram, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 7 says, Abram traveled in obedience. And you read it. The Lord appeared to him. God literally showed up. And in this moment, we begin to see that when we walk in obedience, God reveals himself to his people. When we walk in obedience, God shows himself to his people because God chooses and he uses and he desires lives that would be fully obedient to him. And in this moment, Abram was walking it out. And so I wonder again, what move of obedience is God leading you to make? Married couple? Student, single adult, man, what has God been stirring in you? And what is the barrier that's keeping you from making that move? Abram walked it out, and his obedience was seen in this, this bold move to follow God. I want you to flip with me. We're going to go to Genesis 13. Just flip one page over for our next story. Now, I want you to realize this leading into this story that we're about to look at. Abram had again disobeyed God. If you know Scripture, you know that God, uh, excuse me, Abram went to Pharaoh and he failed to tell him that Sarah was really his wife and it really displeased God and God let Abram know about it. But you know what happened? God's a God of second chances yet again. And he gives Abram another chance to choose obedience. And again, I think there's so much hope in that for you and me today that if you walked in in a season of rebellion or if you've been marked by disobedience for a long time or maybe even for a short time, that God gives a second chance. Aren't we really grateful that God doesn't require perfection, that he just requires obedience? Amen. So here's what happens next. Genesis 13. We'll pick up in verse 5. Abram left, right? He went. He took some people with him. And here's what it says. Now Lot, Abram's nephew, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great, they had so much stuff, that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling broke out. 
And it arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. Verse 8. So Abram looks at Lot, his nephew, and he says, Hey, let's not have this fight between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot looked around and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, this was before God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so verse 11, here it is, the defining moment. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. And the two men parted company, and Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. See, as Abram moved throughout the land, family conflict arose. It says that Lot, his nephew, went with him, all right? And they had so much stuff. Scripture says they had tons of livestock that they, they start quarreling, right? It was like you and your sibling fighting over the bedroom growing up, like you, you right? And that, those were some duke it out moments, were they not? And in this moment, Lot's men and Abram's men and Lot's animals and Abram's men, they begin to fight. There's not enough water. There's not enough space. And so Abram steps in, Scripture says, and there's another defining moment of obedience, and he lets Lot, his nephew, choose which way he would go. And see, here's, I think, a second truth for us to take away today, to see Abram's obedience to live selflessly. In verse 12, he makes a, verse, chapter 12, he makes a bold move, but here in chapter 13, he willingly, he obediently lives selflessly. Lot looks one way, and he saw the plain, Scripture says, of the Jordan, and it had fresh water, and there was a lot of room, and there was green grass, And then he looks the other way and he sees Canaan and he goes, yeah, not so much. And he chooses for himself what he thought would be best. As I read it this week, maybe just because I like dessert a whole lot, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you walk up to the cake table at the birthday party or the wedding that you go to, right? And they've already sliced, they got this professional, they already, the cake slices, uh, like they're already sliced, they're laying on the plate. And when you walk up, Okay, you better be honest in this moment. When you walk up, like you, you start scouting for the biggest piece. Like you know you shouldn't, but you start looking, okay? And then even if it's all the way in the back of the table, like you make an excuse just to kind of reach back there and just grab that, hoping nobody's looking. All right, don't y'all lie. Don't you lie. You do it, okay? And I do too, and I do too, right? In this moment, Lot, Lot got so enticed by what he could see that he took the land that seemed most plentiful and he left his old uncle with the less desirable space. And in this moment, Abram had every right to go first. He was older. He was wealthier. He had more power. He had more influence. It was his to choose. But in this moment, Abram in his obedience chose to live selflessly. And he gave Lot first choice. See, Abram didn't yield to Lot out of weakness. Wasn't it Abram wasn't really a man? No, but instead it was out of love and trust For God, because Abram knew that he could trust God because he'd seen God provide. And Abram, look at this, Abram wasn't scared that he was going to be too generous or too selfless because here's what he knew. He knew that whatever Lot decided, whether he went left or whether he went right, he knew that God was still going to take care of him. And because he wasn't so wrapped up in what can I get and what can I have, it freed him up to live selflessly. And he did. And he did. See, Abram's obedience showed itself in this selfless act. But again, I I flip the script to you as you walk into the holiday season. And I wonder where might God be calling you to live selflessly obedient? Husbands, wives, 
Maybe for you it just starts in your marriage where it matters most. And fellas, hey, what if we walked in from work this week and rather than expecting our wife to serve us, we begin to serve her? Just try it. Just give it a shot. Kids, teenagers, elementary students, man, what would it look like if you lived selflessly in your home with your siblings, with your parents? Just, just try it. Maybe just an hour this week. Just, I know that's a lot, but maybe like an hour. If you let them go first. If you went, mom and dad, how can I help? What about your job, right? What about your job on your work site, in your classroom that you're over? What if you begin to live selflessly? Maybe that task that nobody else likes to do and everybody knows it. What if you took that this week and you're like, that's mine? What would that say? How would that change the mood at your workplace? Students, and what would it look like if you lived selflessly at school? What would it look like? Maybe if you stepped out of the crowd to find somebody who's not always in the crowd and you invested yourself in them. How would that change things? You see, all of us have the chance to choose to live selflessly, but man, it's a wrestle. It's a daily wrestle because we live in this sinful flesh that fights against us. But Scripture not only gives us the example of Abram, but it also gives us the example of Jesus. And here's what the New Testament would say. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition. It's not what's in it for me or vain conceit, but rather in humility, in selflessness, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Let's be real. Most everybody, including us, can look at Abram's story right here in this moment and go, dude, you crazy. Like, you, you, are, you are off your rocket. Like, how would you let Lot go first? You got the right, man. Don't you know this is how it's going to affect your possessions? You may have animals that die. You may have people that get mad and herdsmen that leave. This can affect your future. What are you doing? It would be really easy to look at Abram and think that. How, how could he do it? I think it's what we said. Abram trusted God that deeply. And therefore, God blessed Abram. Look back at our passage. Again, God shows up. Genesis 13, verse 14. It says this, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lot's walked into the good land, and Abram's going, look at what I'm left with. And here's what God says. Look around you, Abram, from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you will see, I'm going to give it to you and your offspring forever. Verse 16, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Verse 17, I love this. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, Abram, for I'm giving it to you. In a moment where it seemed like Lot got the upper hand, God steps in and he sees Abram's selfless obedience. And again, he reminds him of those promises. And he says, I see your generosity. I see your obedience. And yes, Lot may stand here, but God says it all belongs to me. And I have a great plan and a great promise for you, Abram, if you'll simply choose to walk in obedience. And he says that everywhere you put your foot will belong to you and your offspring. You see, I know we focused on Abram, but I think it's important if you know the story, you know what happens, right? Lot chooses what he thought was most prosperous, what he thought made sense. 
And because of that, it kept him from participating in the promise and the blessing that was given to Abraham. And instead, hear this, instead, Lot is associated with the demise of Sodom and Gomorrah. When you read the story, whose name's in there? It's Lot. And what does Lot lose? Lot loses his own wife in trying to escape his own selfishness. You see, selfishness will always cost us something. But selflessness and obedience always opens the door for blessing. And in this moment, Abram chose obedience. Flip over with me. Genesis 22 is where we're going to end today. Genesis 22 will be our last passage. It'll be a familiar story for some of you. But again, I want you to know something. Leading into this passage, some nine chapters later, Abram had now had a name change. Thank goodness. I don't know how many times I've mispronounced it, but you guys have given great grace today. Get your kids' names right, and then you can call me out. But he, guess what? Abram had disobeyed again. And this time, he tried to figure out God's own plan of giving him a son. He's going to make him into a great nation. I don't have a son. How am I going to get a son? And Abram, now Abraham had taken things into his own control, and he disobeyed God, and he'd gone in an illegitimate way. But God had forgiven him, and God had now given him his own son named Isaac. And then God put him to the ultimate test. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Are you, I mean, are you tracking with this? Like, this is real life. It's really happened. That one man, Abraham, got called to leave his hometown, all his people, all his kinfolk, and leave. Then he got this option of like, do you go here with the luscious land or do you stay over here with what's broken? And and he had to make the choice. And here God is testing him, not tempting him, but God is testing him with the ultimate test of, hey, take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. Maybe you feel like your life is one test after another. See, Abraham may have been obedient, but it wasn't because he was put in easy situations. And maybe you feel that same way that your life is just one test after another. It's relationship turmoil, it's family drama, it's finances, it's health, it's job, it's this, it's this. And maybe if you got real honest today, maybe that's been your excuse on why you've just settled at partial obedience. And maybe why you haven't really been obedient at all. But you see, in this moment, Abram shows us a great truth. He shows us that our obedience should not be based on our trials, but it should be based on our trust. It's not about our trial. It's about the trust of who we put our hope in. And here in this final act from Abraham is this, Abraham's obedience to trust in faith. Abraham's obedience to trust in faith. Scripture goes on to tell the story, and I want to sum it up a little bit for time purposes. Scripture says in verse 3, it says, I love this part, it says, early the next day. God says, sacrifice your son. Abraham says, why don't we get up early the next day to go take care of this, okay? If there's any day to sleep late, like that would have been the one to not hear the alarm, I don't know, until like never. And Abraham gets up and he walks on a journey, not a couple hours, not one day, not two days, but three days. Abraham walks the whole time as a dad, knowing his boys right here, knowing what's coming, but it did not stop his mission of obedience. And I want you to see what happens. Look at Genesis 22 verse 9. It says, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it and he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood and then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. In verse 14, so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I love that Abraham follows God's command down to the last detail of lifting the knife above his son. And in that moment, God, who is faithful and true to his promises, steps in and he stops him and he spares his son and he provides an alternative sacrifice. If you're a parent in the room today, like I want you to honestly just think for a second, if God caused you to sacrifice your own child, okay, not when they're on your last nerve, don't think about that moment, okay. But when you love them, and if God calls you to sacrifice your own child, how would you respond? I can tell you how my house would respond. I don't think so, God. Uh-uh. No, we misheard you on that one, or you misspoke, one of the two. But that's crazy. Uh-uh. That doesn't make any sense. But you know what? As I look at this story and identify with Abraham as a dad to a dad, I go, he had to have felt the same way. This was a boy he waited for for a long, long, long time. And then God promised, He's coming. And then God delivered. He's here. And now it seems that God's taken him away. You see, here's what we might miss there. Abraham wasn't, or God wasn't trying to remove Abraham's blessing, but he was simply trying to test Abraham's faith. He wasn't removing the blessing, but he was testing Abraham's obedience. And Abraham, in this moment, he passed the test. He passed the test. And Abraham practiced obedience in faith. You see, obedience in faith means obedience when you don't know the outcome. Think about it. We're really good at obeying like when we can see what's coming next. Like, most days I go about 10 for 10 on those. Uh, if, if that's what happens, if I do this, I'm in. Yep, got it, God. Covering that one. But it's in those moments where we can't predict, we can't see what's going to happen if we follow him, if we do what he's calling him to, calling us to do, if we follow that little prompting in our spirit. I don't know what's going to happen on the other side. And guess what? Abraham didn't either. Abraham didn't know the outcome when he set out on this three-day journey. He didn't know the outcome when he started climbing the mountain and he had the wood and he had his son, but there wasn't any sacrifice. He didn't know the outcome when he laid Isaac on the altar and starts binding him up. And he didn't know the outcome when he raised the knife above his own son. But it didn't stop him from walking in obedience. And it didn't stop God from showing up in that moment either. And I wonder how God might be calling you. Mom, dad, student, single parent. How might God be calling you to walk in obedience in faith today? In faith. Where God might be testing you to see if you will trust him even when you can't see the outcome. Maybe it's calling you to give or seek forgiveness from an ex-spouse or a parent or a child who's called real pain and real hurt in your life. Maybe God's calling you to be crazy generous back to Him, maybe to somebody else. Maybe He's calling you to begin to serve somewhere or to lead something. And when you look at your calendar, you go, ain't no more time or energy left. God goes, no, that's what I'm calling you to. 
Or maybe it's to change jobs to make more time for family. Maybe it's to make time to intentionally invest in somebody's life at your school, at your workplace. See, I've seen God call people to do some crazy, outrageous, incredible things that would only happen if they practiced obedience in faith because they couldn't see what was to come. And in this moment, that's what Abraham chose. And guess what? For the third time, yet again, God shows up. And here's the end of the story. Genesis 22, verse 15. Look at it. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this, Abraham, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Verse 18, and through your offspring, Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God, for a third time, steps in to remind Abraham of his covenant because he knew Abraham probably forgot. And he reminds him, And I hope you caught the final words of verse 18. We just read it. He says, through your offspring, Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Does that sound familiar? I hope it does. Because that's the very promise that we began with today. Genesis 12, verse 3. Here's what it says to refresh your memory. God says to Abraham, I will bless you. Those, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Here it is. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. God was making this crazy bold promise that he would use the obedience and life of one man to bless all people on earth. And as Abraham heard God make this promise, there's no way he could have understood it. There's no way he could have understood when he moved his family with nowhere to go. There's no way he could have understood it when he stood on the mountain and he looked at the Jordan and he looked at Canaan and he goes, Lot, you go first. Abraham didn't know. There's no way Abraham knew when he laid Isaac on the altar and was ready to take the life of the promise that God had given him. Abraham didn't know. But he obeyed. And God blessed his obedience beyond Abraham's understanding. And here's what happened. If you know the narrative of the book, Abram with Sarah would have Isaac who would be spared, who with Rebekah, his wife, would have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob with Leah would have Judah who would become the father of David who would carry the very lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And Jesus would be in the family tree of the obedient Abraham. See, God was writing a story. He was telling a story long before it would ever happen. And He would use the obedient life of a man named Abraham. And when a baby would be put in a manger in a place called Bethlehem, hundreds of years later, it would point back to the obedient life of a man named Abraham. And you and I today are recipients of a Savior through the lineage of a man named Abraham. And I love what the New Testament post-Jesus arrival would say. Here it is. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, so also Abraham believed God. You think? Yeah, he did. 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. We're in the lineage. And verse 8, I love this. Here it is. Scripture foresaw, it foretold that God would justify the Gentiles, you and me, by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. God was going, I got something coming. And I'm going to let you take a little role in this. And here's what it says. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith, that's you and me, is it not? We are blessed along with our boy Abraham, the man of faith. So here's my question to you right now, to you today. How is God calling you to walk in obedience? What does that look like? And just like Abraham, what might the ripples of those obedience be if you choose to walk it out? And guess what? It's probably going to require you to make a bold move. It may require you to live selflessly, to be so much bigger than just your world. And it may even require you to walk in obedience in faith when you can't predict the outcome. But hear me out. Even though it may not make sense, you have to realize that if it's spoken from the God of the universe and the God of the Scripture, then our only option is to be obedient. The story tells it today. He's true to His Word down to the last detail. Because He chooses And he uses lives of full obedience. And today, you and I have the choice to walk and to choose obedience. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.